0: Go. Yes, she said. I suppose we should say goodbye. She turned her gaze as best she could. Well, she said, goodbye, Sparky. We'll probably never see each other again. Later, he said, I'll never get over that scene as long as I live. And indeed, he could not, down to his own dying day. It was certainly the worst night of his life, the night of my greatest tragedy which he repeatedly put into the terms of his passionate sense of unfulfillment that his mother never had the opportunity to see me get anything published. He saw her always from a distance, and as the years went by, with each stoical retelling, the moment became more and more iconic. It was safely frozen in time, as puzzling a farewell in its quiet, cool-headed resolve, as the lines spoken by the mother as she prepares to lose her son in Citizen Kane, I've got his trunk all packed. I've had it packed for a week now. Frequently, often publicly, Sparky laid out the terrible resigned pathos of what his mother had said to him that night. Only as he got older and experienced parenthood himself would he understand the pain and fear she must have had, thinking about what was to become of me. The blizzard had brought everything to a halt, but the train drummed on across St. Paul and landmarks familiar even in the snow slipped past his window, alerting him that his own neighborhood was approaching. Then there it was for all to see. Mud-brown, two-storied brick buildings huddled along his snowbound street. From where the Great Northern Railway overpass crossed North Snelling, he could see down to the Selby intersection two blocks to the south, where since Monday he had sleepwalked through funeral arrangements with his father in his family's rented walk-up. Even before this week of calamities, he had considered this part of St. Paul the setting of my most influential section of life as a child. Above the buildings to his right, a Greek pedimented entrance marked the huge elementary school he had attended. He could see Dayton Avenue, a side street among whose small, somber dwellings Carl and Dina had lived in 1921, during the first year of their marriage, and next door, the roof under which his father had sheltered the family during the Great Depression, some of the lonelier years of Sparky's childhood, and the scanty backyard where the kooky puppy, Spike, living in his own world, had gobbled up some glass. There, on the corner of Selby and Snelling, was their streetcar stop, whence came, among his earliest memories, the image of himself getting aboard with his mother, a small boy on a stiff cane seat, off to the department stores. The trip downtown was easy, the streetcar free and airy, full of light. On the return trip, the car became crowded. Saturday was the big shopping day in St. Paul. Package-burdened passengers flocked in to fill every seat. When the next woman or girl appeared, it was standard procedure for a young man, even a small boy accompanying his mother, to get up for her. Sparky observed this courtesy, although it meant that he had to struggle to keep by Dina's side. First one new passenger, then another, displaced him as the car swayed this way and that, and with each additional surge of homeward-bound shoppers at the major intersections, they were pushed farther and farther apart. Finally, he lost sight of her altogether, and from that moment on was locked in his terror, imagining as clearly as if it had already happened that when the streetcar glided up its double rails to their corner, she would forget him and step off by herself leaving the trolley to carry him away, trapped and alone. In later years, he would ridicule the idea that his mother would have forgotten or overlooked him. She would never have done that. She was not by nature absent-minded. Indeed, the record shows that Dina was an attentive, even fussy caregiver to her only child. But no matter what happened to Charles Schultz for the rest of his life, even when he married and started a family and became known as a cartoonist, then was lionized as a figure of national wisdom, a philosopher king beloved by millions, a seer revered to the point of idolatry. His standing measured in four decades of unremitting worldwide recognition as one of the most beloved artists on earth, he felt unseen. He never stopped believing that he had been forsaken and would be left behind, that nobody cared. As a boy, he had been loved by his mother, or so he insisted. But Dina Halverson Schultz had a remote quality. She could be distant, cool, elusive, mocking, and a little scornful. And she was foxy by nature.